Feminine, and uh, we are trying to get back to our uh, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time slot. I do still have a few shows uh, scheduled on uh, other days, like for instance, uh, this uh, Sunday, uh, Trista Hendren is uh, back with me, and we're going to be talking about uh, Medusa, I believe. Uh, but after that, uh, we're really, uh, you know, we're pretty much sticking to our Wednesday at 11 a.m., so uh, just so you'll know. Uh, but it is always best to click that follow button uh, on the show page, and that way you get a reminder in your inbox uh, that the show is there and ready to listen to, and you can either listen live uh, or you can listen from the archives. And... Um, the music starting uh, today's show uh, I thought was appropriate for our topic. Uh, topic. It's called uh, The Welcome Flame, and uh, it's by uh, reclaiming folks who have uh, this great uh, CD out called um, uh, a Campfire Songs, and uh, most of them were designed uh, to raise energy and uh, do uh, spiral dances and uh, their activist songs as well, uh, which is appropriate right now if, uh, you know, you haven't been living under a rock. There's, there's a lot of protests going on right now, a lot of peace and people raising energy for positive change, and uh, uh, Reclaiming's got some great songs for that. And uh, as I said, this one this morning, is called the Welcome Flame, uh, but that also makes reference to uh, the time of the year that we're in, and uh, today we're going to be talking about that a bit uh, with uh, Ellen uh, Everett-Hotman. Uh, she's a teacher of herbalism and druidism, and she's been doing that for decades. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, the sacred herbs of spring, um, or more specifically, the magical uh, healing and edible plants of Beltane, and uh, we're going to get into the fairy folk, and we're going to talk about druidism. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll talk a bit about uh, uh, May Day festivals and uh, Beltane and what the English May Day customs are, because uh, those of us in the U.S., uh, maybe most of us don't know that. And, um, uh, you know, we'll talk about some fairy lore, herbs of purification and protection, abundance and love. Uh, so I, I think we have a great show for you. And... Um, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Ellen before we, uh, you know, before we jump in. Uh, she's been teaching herbalism since '83 and uh, and and druidism since '90. 
she's a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild, and uh, she's presented on Druidism, herbal lore, tree lore, paganism, all that sort of stuff uh, at conferences, festivals um, in Northern Ireland, Scotland, Canada, the U.S. Uh, she's a master herbalist and a lay uh, homeopath, and uh, she holds uh, an MED and uh, mental health counseling. Uh, she is the Archdruid of Tribe of the Oak and a founding member of the Order of the White Oak and its former co-chief. Uh, she's also a VP of the Henge of Keltria, which is an international Druid fellowship and uh, for nine years. And uh, she has been at times a member of the Order of Boards, Ovates and Druids. Uh, she's a member of the Great Council of Mages and Sages. And uh, you can visit her bookstore and blog at uh, ellenevertheartman.com. Uh, that's her name again, ellenevertheartman.com. So, Ellen, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. So glad to have you here today. Hello, and it's and it's really great to be with you too uh, in peaceful rural New England. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, quite frankly, where I live, I'm up on top of a mountain. I am uh, 90 minutes away from Los Angeles, 90 minutes away from Bakersfield. Uh, you know, I just as well be on the moon. Uh, if I don't uh, turn on the television, uh, I would not know a thing about what's uh, what's going on out there in the world. I'm actually in a pretty serene place myself. Well, Everybody needs to have a place like that, even if it's just your back porch, especially in these times. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, so your new book um, that Inner Traditions uh, has put out this year, uh, The Sacred Herbs of Spring, uh, subtitle Magical Healing and Edible Plants to Celebrate uh, Beltane. Um, well, I thought, uh, I think we just missed Beltane, but uh, we're still kind of in the season, would you say? Well, it's still spring. It's not quite summer yet. <laughs> and the plants okay. that I talk about, I mean, there are two volumes, the Sacred Herbs of Samhain, which is fall plants, and the Sacred Herbs of Spring, which is spring and summer, basically. Um, so definitely a book that you can use uh, well into the season, at least here in New England. Um, and uh, those are the two most important Celtic holidays, Beltane and Samhain, or May Day and Halloween. Uh, so those two books um, cover both those festivals with the sacred herbs. Okay. So now would you say that the book, um, you know, just so we kind of have it straight in our mind, is the book about the, the how, it, sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, it, it runs a parallel track of um, – the herbs and the holidays of the season. Am, am I kind of getting that right? Well, I I try to cover the herbs that emerge in the spring, and so so the sacred herbs of spring is more about leaves and flowers that are used as medicine and as food. You know, there are a lot of uh, food recipes in there. And then with each plant, I also include lore, so you get the magical properties, you get the medicinal properties, you get the edible properties, so you get like a, a, a full picture of each plant. 
And, um, you know, the sacred herbs of Samhain, you get in the fall, you get the roots, the barks, and the berries. So Samhain is more about roots, and then herbs of spring is more about flowers. There are a lot of recipes for eating flowers, um, making foods with flowers, you know. Um, and then there's rituals. Both books I have rituals with deities that are appropriate to the season, and then I talk about how different cultures uh, celebrate spring, for example, in England, Ireland, Germany. Um, you know, in Germany they have Walpurgisnacht, and uh, the, in England they have the maypole, in Ireland they have the maybush. You know, it's a little different uh, depending on which tradition you want to take part in. I see. Okay. Well, it sounds really comprehensive. And, um, uh, well, and I guess, you know, the thing that comes to my mind um, is, uh, you know, as someone who has never considered themselves a green witch, you know, I barely garden. I mean, I hate to even weed my own garden. I'm just not into into that so much. I'm more of a word person and a writer. Uh, But I wonder, you know, if uh, one thing that does sort of, prevent me from um, doing more is, um, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to poison myself. You know, um, how do you, uh, in the beginning, when you're, when you're green <laughs> at this, um, you know, how do you uh, with certainty know what you're looking at? You know, because I don't know, I've seen pictures of plants and books and, you know, Sometimes plants look pretty similar. No, I, I mean, uh, am I? I mean, please, you can go tell me if I'm wrong about that. Okay. Well, first of all, in the book, with every single plant that I discuss, and I do this in all my books, by the way, and I think I have 16 in print at this point. But with every plant, I give the cautions. Um, so I'm very clear. I say, don't don't eat this if you're breastfeeding. Don't eat this if you're pregnant. Don't eat this if you have diabetes, or don't eat this if you have hypertension or whatever. I mean, I'm very clear about that with each plant. Um, I do have full-color um, botanical prints in my books, uh, which describe the reason I like the old botanical prints is because they give you the leaf, the flower, the seed, the root. Um, you know, you can't capture all of that in a photograph. So uh, I, I actually prefer the, the old botanical prints, and they're quite beautiful just artistically as well. Now, if you feel, if you don't know plants and you don't feel confident, I urge you to find a local herbalist. Uh, Herbalists are everywhere now. They didn't used to be, but they are. Um, And if you don't know an herbalist, just call up a local herb store and they will point you, you know, or any store that that carries herbs, they'll point you to somebody. And take a walk. Um, The most important thing to learn is what's in your own area. Because, you know, the plants in California are very different from the plants in Massachusetts. We don't have the same plants. So um, everybody should know that. It just should be part of everybody's basic education, I think. Um, There have been times in my life when I was so broke that I couldn't afford to go to the grocery store, and I'm sure there are people now that are experiencing that. But because I knew how to wildcraft, I could just go out in the backyard and get edible things, you know. Um, As long as I had brown rice and oil, 
um, and honey, I was fine. I could just supplement with other other things, you know. So I think everybody needs to know at, at least a few things and always start with the things in your own area. You don't have to import plants from China or India or Africa. And anyway, if things come from a distance, they're usually irradiated um, or sprayed with pesticides, you know, just to get across the border. So you're always better off knowing what grows in your area. You can get it fresh. You can get it for free. uh, And it's really worth it. Okay. Um, well, in, in another thing I want to ask you about, I mean, you're talking about herbs for um, it, it, edible herbs. Um, do you also talk about uh, herbs uh, for healing, or, uh, or do you kind of stay away from that? No, the whole book, with each plant, I give the edible uses. Uh, you can make drinks with it. You can make jam with it. You can put it in a salad. You can make a stir-fry, whatever. I also give the medicinal properties. So this is going to be a blood cleanser. This is going to be a liver cleanser. This is whatever, you know. Um, and then I also give the magical properties. So what I try to do is okay. give a full picture of each plant, you know, the whole spectrum. Got it. Got it. Um, well, you know, I, I one just one more thing about that, and then I want to talk a little bit more about the about the holidays. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with an herbalist uh, years ago, and um, uh, and. You know, and, and I just wonder what you think about this. It was at a time when uh, Republicans were just crazed, uh, and they were on a tear to, uh, you know, try to make it harder for women to get contraceptives. And I had a, a herbalist on the phone, and she said, "Oh, well, women don't have to worry about that. All they have to do is know their herbs." And that, you know, raised red flags for me because, uh, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm not an herbalist, uh, but that scared me, the thought that I would have to go out and, and, um, and, and look for herbs to potentially replace uh, birth control, you know, or not me necessarily, mm-hmm. but some, uh, that was the suggestion. Because mm-hmm. isn't a problem with, with herbs? For instance, it's it's not like taking a birth control pill where you you know it's it's already kind of a pre you know pre prescribed potency you know exactly what it's going to do more or less. I mean, can you be that certain with herbs? You know about the potency, how much to take, how long to cook it, uh, if that's what you're going to do. Um, I don't know. I guess I just feel a little bit more apprehensive. Um, with it totally in my hands, uh, you know, when it comes to something so important as, you know, maybe preventing a pregnancy? Well, first of all, the Republicans have not changed at all. They're still (laughs) working very hard to to, uh, deprive women of uh, contraceptives and abortion. I mean, that has not changed. And uh, if anybody doesn't believe me, just do a little research because – they would love nothing more than have people be forced to do it at home again, as in the old days. But don't get me started. <laughs> um, I think what the herbalist was trying to say is she was trying to say not to worry because if uh, Roe v. Wade gets overturned, um, 
you know, and women are forced into back alley abortions again, that there are herbs out there. Um, but you need to work, if you're going to do that, you really do need to work with an herbalist um, because uh, you should follow up with certain herbs. You know, you have to add herbs so that it's less, uh, that it's less uncomfortable for the, for the woman. Um, you know, there's things to follow up with. But a very basic instruction that I can give um, is that if you look in any herb book, it'll say, do not take this if you are pregnant. Uh, this is an amenagogue, and amenagogue means it brings on your period. Um, ah, so okay. if an intelligent reader goes to any herb book and just finds the amenagogues, uh, that can be very helpful. That's all I'm going to say. I see. Okay, okay, I get it, I get it. And, of course, you know, I have to say, you know, we are not doctors here, and, you know, we're not giving medical advice, you know, just for the for the sake of liability. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, it's in the literature. It's what's in the books. You know, if you look at the books, uh, just look at the cautions associated with the plant, and it will say this is an amenagogue, or it might even say this is abortive. Do not take it if you are pregnant. <laughs> no, you just you have right. to intelligent. But I, but I do. Anybody who's going to do this, you really do need to consult with a herbalist, somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, because. Yeah, because I mean, I, I I don't know. I I've, I'm someone who has had the issue of fibroids, and um, you know that's pretty scary when you have heavy bleeding. And um, you know, I guess I would uh, I would be worried about uh, potentially hemorrhaging or something. Uh, but then I guess there's probably a herb that would um, you know would help stop it. Right. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, you would um, you know you would definitely want to be in the hands of a professional and not just kind of willy nilly do this yourself. That might be too dangerous. Right, um, an herbalist or a naturopath, uh, you know, somebody who works with plants and knows plants can help you and guide you. Um, but that but that should only be if we're desperate. You know, if we lose all our rights, thanks to Republicans, <laughs> because it's not the Democrats. It's the Republicans. If they have their way, you know, um, and things get to that point, right now you don't have to do that. You know, right now you can you can go to a provider and they can help you, you know. Um, right. But, but, but all we're saying is that if we're desperate again, uh, there are herbs out there that could help you. Right, right, and and that's good to know. And you know what? And and it's not. Uh, I mean, and I think it's important to also say, uh, you know, the reality of uh, of the politics out there as well. You know, because I think there's far too many women who um, I don't know whether they bury their head in the sand or they, you know, potentially they're benefiting from the way things are. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, if, if uh, how women can support Republicans, you know, taking away women's rights to their bodies is just beyond me. Uh, and it, it's really something I have trouble comprehending, quite frankly. Yep, I agree. 
but okay, let's move on. You know, let's get back to your book. Uh, you know, our, our, uh, get off our, our little sidetrack there. Um, so May Day festivals. Um, now, I don't think that's something we do here in the United States anymore, right? Well, there's a reason for that. Um, people used to celebrate May Day. Um, I'm old enough that I remember celebrating in school. And um, in the 1950s, uh, you know, because the, we were in the Cold War with the Russians, um, and they had their big May Day uh, parade, and I think the Chinese do that too, I'm not sure. But at one point, um, the word came down from on high that American schools were not to mention May Day. Because when I was little, we used to make May baskets, and that was in a public school, and um, we made them out of paper, and we had little paper flowers that we put in there, and we were instructed to hang them on somebody's doorknob as a surprise. So on my way home, and we all walked to and from school in those days, you know, walking home from school, I hung it on somebody's doorknob. You know, I'm sure they were quite surprised, but um, that's what we were told to do. And um, now... You know, we celebrate Halloween. Halloween is a huge holiday, uh, which is the opposite Celtic festival. That is an old Celtic festival. And people spend literally billions of dollars on candy and costumes, and, you know, it's a big thing. But they ignore May Day. And that's official U.S. government propaganda, you know. Um, Because May Day in ancient times was just as important as Halloween. So do you know the reason? I mean, does it have something to do with fertility and sexuality would be my guess, or or no? Um, Well, that's part of it. Um, A lot of modern pagans emphasize that aspect, but that's only part of it. Uh, What happens at at Beltane or May Day is it's literally a portal between winter and summer, because for the Celts, They only had two seasons. They had winter, which was the dark season, and they had summer, which was the light season. Um, So you had this portal where you were going from one form of existence, which was winter, and you were moving into a completely new form, which was summer. And um, because it's a time of change and chaos, that means that the walls between the worlds get thinner and the ancestors and the spirits and the fairies and all the beings can move back and forth. And it's the time if you want to contact the fairies or the ancestors, if you want to travel between the worlds, as everybody knows, Halloween or Samhain is a very important time to do that. But May Day was the same. And the, the, the techniques are a little different. You know, and, and at May Day, what you do is you look for a blooming tree Uh, usually a hawthorn, but you could also find a blooming apple tree um, or a blooming elder, you know, something that's blooming profusely in your area because it's different everywhere, and you sleep under it or you meditate under it um, on May Eve, um, and the chances are that you will have an encounter with a spirit, with the fairies. Now, depending on who you are, uh, if you're a good Irish Catholic, you're going to avoid that like the plague. <laughs> but um, if you're a pagan or you're a poet or you're a druid or a witch, uh, you might want to seek out such a place. 
um, and hang out there. So that that's the thing. And then in at Samhain or, or Halloween, you have the passage from the summer light season into the dark season, which, again, is a time of change, chaos, um, you know, the walls between the worlds get really thin again because everything's moving around. The fairies are moving house. You know, everything's changing. And once again, that's a really good time to communicate with the ancestors. And our culture, you know, we remember it as ghosts. Everybody associates ghosts with Halloween. But it's really the ancestors. It's the beloved dead. It's our own forebearers. Um, and they can communicate with us. We can communicate with them. Now, I know Samhain, I mean, it's not just the one day. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of the season of Samhain. And I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know, if we stretch it, maybe seven to ten days. Um, is it the same um, with May Day? I mean, what would be what would be the time frame exactly? I mean, have have we totally missed it, or do we still have, are we still on the edges? Okay, well that uh, that is a big question because in the really old days, I'm talking about the Iron Age. It wasn't May Day until the hawthorn bloomed. Okay. And the hawthorn tree told you when there was going to be no more frost, because it won't bloom until the, the frost is done. Once the hawthorn blooms, then you do your big, this is in the Iron Age, then you did your big ritual where you passed your herd of cows through two fires on their way up to the hills for the summer pasture. So here in Massachusetts, where I am, my hawthorn tree didn't bloom until May 22nd. So for me, it wasn't really Beltane until May 22nd. But, um, you know, nowadays people think that, oh, you just look at the calendar, May 1st, May Day, you know. So that's that's one way of doing it. But to make things even more complicated, um, in the old days, uh, May 12th was May Day. May 11th into 12th, because the the festival always begins at night in Celtic thinking. So the night of the 11th into the 12th. The same thing with Samhain, or Halloween. Um, It was November 11 into the 12th, so the eve of November 11 into the 12th. That was the old date for Samhain. But people look at their calendar and they go, oh, October 31st, it's Halloween, you know. Um, So... So these are, you know, a lot of people, they look astronomically. That's something I never do. They And they try to figure out the exact midpoint um, between fall equinox and winter solstice, and then they say, oh, that's Halloween, or um, between spring equinox and summer solstice, would the exact moment would be Beltane. But that's not the way I think, because I'm very plant-oriented, and I know that the, in ancient times they were looking at the plants. Most of the festivals were around the plants. You know, Lunasar is around the grain and the harvest, the first fruits of the harvest, you know, that kind of thing. Right. 
Right, right. And, 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 and of course, we were more of an agricultural society then, and, and now with most people living in the city, I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of that commercial where, uh, you know, the guy is, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to make a hamburger, and, uh, you know, he stands in there looking at the, at the meat in the, in, you know, in the refrigerator case. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we're, we're just so far removed, um, you know, from the land, uh, you know, than, than we used to be. Uh, I, I would imagine a lot of people don't, you know, wouldn't even recognize a hawthorn tree to, you know, to mark the change, uh, you know, of the season. Well, the, the problem is if you plant a hawthorn tree in Southern California, it's probably going to bloom in February. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> right, but I mean, right. New England, where I am, uh, we're roughly, uh, the plants here are the, pretty much the same as Scotland and Ireland and England. And I guess that's why we're called New England. Um, so I can, and I know that the land that I live on um, was settled by Scottish sheep herders. Um, so there's a very Celtic vibe here. Um, but I, but again, what you need to do is you need to figure out a plant. Like if you live in California, you need to figure out something that blooms um, in May, and organize your celebration around that. Figure out something that blooms at the beginning yeah. of May. You know. Yeah, we we uh, here where I am, uh, lilacs. Uh, lilacs are blooming in May because they usually have a lilac festival right in the middle of May. So that might be something for uh, at least us here on the mountain. Oh, that would be wonderful. So you look for the first lilac bloom. As soon as the first lilac blossoms, then you can say it's Beltane. And you <laughs> that would be great because lilacs are edible. I write about them in the book, actually. You can make lilac honey. Oh. You yeah, oh yeah, you can you can put them um you, you take just take the blossoms, the fresh blossoms, put them in a jar, cover it with honey, let it sit for a few weeks. You can either strain it out or leave them in there. Um and you get lilac scented honey. Oh, interesting. Wow, that that sounds delicious. Yeah, um, probably so have other I... lilac recipes. I just don't remember off the top. I'm sure I do in there. Um I think I have okay. lilac cookies. Lilac cookies, yeah. Lemon cookies with li- you can make lilac sugar. Take regular um, organic white sugar, mix it with the lilac blossoms. Let that sit, you know, for a day or two. And then, um, if you bake, say, I would bake lemon cookies and then use the lilac sugar and then sprinkle the lilac sugar with the flowers in it on top um, after the cookies bake. That would work, or make a, a lemon cake and then use the lilac sugar and then put it on top of the cake after you frost the cake. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, I'm sure it's in the book. I just don't have it off the top of my head. Yeah, well, that sounds like a great idea. Um, well, I know the, you know, the May Day celebrations that I always participated in. You know, it was with a maypole, and you had, you know, the the, you know, the dancing around the maypole in opposite directions, so that you threaded the. Uh, the ribbons that were attached to the maypole, and that was a metaphor for um, uh, for 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 sex, right? I mean, the uh, 
you know, the um, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, you know, the the thriving of the land uh, and you know, and, and new new birth and life. Uh, it, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, that's what that's what I always thought was part of the May Day. Uh, you, you know the the metaphor for the enactment that we were doing. Um, it, is is that correct, or is that just maybe one of the um, you know the ideas behind the maypole? Oh no, that's that is absolutely correct, and it and it goes beyond that. The maypole is a pole which you put in a hole in the ground. <laughs> so it's there. You go. Okay. <laughs> But that's English. That's English May Day celebration. That's specifically English. And other cultures don't do that, you know. So, for example, in Ireland, uh, they have the May Bush, which is something that you can dance around or you can parade it through the village or you can decorate it in front of your house or decorate it on the town common. Um, What they would do in the old days was they would look for yellow flowers and again, this is Ireland. You would have to figure out what's blooming in your area. But around May Day in Ireland, you get the marsh marigolds, which are a yellow flower that grows in damp, swampy areas. Um, but any yellow flower, you, you take a small tree, again, like a hawthorn, um, and you decorate it with the yellow flowers, which are symbolic of the sun, because the sun is returning. And they would uh, get eggs, and they would dye the eggs yellow. And you can use natural dyes like onion peels, for example, yellow onion peels, you know. But um, you dye your eggs yellow. uh, You blow out the the content of the egg, and then you hang the the egg, um, just the hollow egg, with a ribbon. And I would probably use a yellow ribbon. That would be nice. Um, Hang those on the tree. And, again, that's uh, fertility, but it's to honor the sun because the sun is strengthening and um, anything that we can do. That's why bonfires are lit. You have usually have a big bonfire uh, at all the major Celtic festivals, but, but all of this is to honor the sun, to encourage the sun, to honor sacred fire. Um, and then you could dance around the tree um, you know, you can have little kids uh, decorate the tree. And, and it's funny because here in America, um, I've seen trees decorated with plastic eggs, but it's for Easter, which is a Christian holiday. Um, but they don't realize that what they're doing is they're copying an old Celtic. Again, it's a really old Celtic custom of uh, decorating the Maybush. Well, and and also too, I mean, it's associated with uh, with the goddess Astara too. I think, right? Well, okay, um, she's German. <laughs> That's Germanic. Okay. These are all different cultures. Astara um, is Anglo-Saxon Germanic goddess of the spring and of dawn, um, and she's associated with rabbits. Okay, and I I do write about her in the book, and I also um, write about uh, Flora, the goddess Flora. I have a ritual for her. The Floralia was a Roman spring festival for people that are into the Latin side of things. 
And it must have been beautiful because um, people came to the Coliseum and everybody wore really bright clothing, bright colors. Uh, they had wreaths in their hair, leaves or flowers. Um, and uh, they, would, they would go into the Coliseum, they would have their games, and then goats uh, would be set free and rabbits and they would be running around and then people would be pelting each other with beans with beans are uh, symbolic of abundance and rebirth um, so it must have been quite a festival but I bet I bet but I, I have a ritual in there and I, suge- I suggest bringing a goat if you can it's, I, I, say that one more time you suggest why Bringing a goat. <laughs> if you do your rituals, <laughs> I suggest bringing a goat. <laughs> okay, okay. That that wouldn't be too difficult. No, not at all. Um, all right. Well, look, we're going to take a break, and um, and when we come back, I want to hear more about the fairies, and uh, uh, I want to get into the reality of uh, Druidism a bit, and how Druids celebrate uh, Beltane, and you know maybe some uh, herbs of protection, and uh, how May Day is a time for romance. We'll see if we can cover that in the, the last half of the show. But you know, you made me realize uh, the reason uh, May Day got pushed out. Out, uh, probably is because of Easter, um, you know, with this, you know, seeing a supposedly Christian country, um, you know, I bet Easter is the reason we don't have May Day anymore. Well, it's kind of suspicious that it disappeared in the 1950s, though. It would have gone away long before that. I mean, the Puritans didn't like May Day. The Puritans were really against it, because um, people who came... There were people who came to New England. They came to America from England and tried to celebrate May Day, and the Puritans were not happy. Um, so the suppression has been going on a long time. But the official oh. suppression, I think, happened in the McCarthy era. Okay. Well, that, that that's really got me curious. Uh, but anyway, all right. So uh, we will be back uh, in just a minute. But uh, first, um, let you hear from Jonathan B., about Ferraferia. Celebrate Wildness has practical instructions on how to make your own fairy ring henge, how to magically restore any place to its original wild harmony, how to feel the shapes of the earth as if they really are a part of your own body, and even how to initiate yourself into the Ferraferia path from early Ferraferia member, John Beggs. What a beautiful, inspired, and inspiring book this is. The text is a delight, augmenting, interpreting, and celebrating the drawings that the singer sometimes adds another dimension of understanding to a musical composition. It has the glow, glory, and joy of a masterpiece. Celebrate Wildness is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper. It is written by filmmaker Joe Carson, who made the film Dancing with Gaia. You can get it for $45 from the Ferraferia website at ferraferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. So just to clarify, 
clarify, Joe Carson's magical book, Celebrate Wildness, is available only at theraferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. So if uh, you're tuning in late, uh, we're having a fun conversation here, and uh, Ellen Everett Hoppen is my guest, and we're talking about her book, The Sacred Herbs of Spring. Um, so Ellen, we were about to talk about the, the fairies uh, at, uh, at Beltane and uh, how Druids uh, celebrate Beltane. Uh, so why don't you speak to that a little bit? Okay, well, that's that's kind of two different uh, topics, but as I mentioned before, in the ancient times, um, when the hawthorn bloomed, that told you it was time to send your cows out to the summer pasture up in the hills, and what you would do is you would run your herd between two fires, and if you're a Celtic Reconstructionist druid, which is what I am, um, you will do a ceremony with two fires and have everybody walk between the fires. It's ritual purification. Um, the fires were supposed to be close enough that a white cow walking between them would have her fur singed brown. Um, and there's a lot of meaning to this. It, it's because the cow is a lunar, watery animal. It produces milk, which is liquid. And then you have the fire, so you're combining, you're, you're sending a watery cow that's associated with the moon and soma, or sacred liquid, uh, this is an Indo-European thing, um, between fire, so you have fire and water, and the idea is that where fire and water come together, you always have the greatest potential for magic and transformation. And they believed that the world was created of fire and water. Those are the basic building blocks of creation. So everything created came out of fire and water. So there's a lot of meaning to that. That would be the really old Celtic traditional way to do it. Um, so uh, another thing a druid would do, uh, the deity most associated with uh, Beltane would be the Dagda, um, the good god, uh, Father Nature, who had an inexhaustible cauldron of food from which no one left unsatisfied. He had a magical staff that could heal you or kill you, which is what nature can do. If you don't know what you're doing, nature's going to kill you. If you know what you're doing, nature's going to heal you and feed you. Um, so I, in the book, I do have a ritual uh, specifically for the Dagda. Um, so I, in my books, I try to have both uh, goddess rituals and god rituals. So the goddess that I focus on is Flora. She was known as Chloris in the Greek tradition. But I have a ritual for Flora, and then I have a ritual, a Celtic ritual for the Dagda in there. Um, does that answer the question? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I guess, um, uh, and, and again, this is probably my own ignorance, um, but I was, I'm surprised you said Flora and not Bridget, uh, because isn't Bridget kind of a goddess of uh, water and fire, too? I'm thinking her sacred wells, but also, uh, you know, she's, she's uh, uh, you know, the goddess of smiths, and, you know, we celebrate uh, her at, uh, you know, the coming light, uh, you know, the fires of Bridget that kind of a thing? Well, she's, she's the one that we honor at Inbulk. Inbulk, uh, which True. is February 2nd. Um, that's her festival. So we, we have a big festival just for her at that time. 
Um, my true. group That's is true. called Tribe yeah. of the Oak, and you're all welcome to contact us, tribeoftheoak.com. We have a fire temple, and we have people that light fires for Bridget um, continuously. We have, um, fi- they're called fire tenders. And uh, if people feel drawn to doing that, um, you sign up for a shift, and uh, every 19 days you get a shift. And we have conti- all around the world. We have people in South Africa, Mexico, um, all across the United States, Ireland. We have people all over lighting candles for Bridget. We do that all the time. But, you know, the Dagda is more associated with Beltane. Um, the Morrigan, who is the triple goddess, uh, the raven goddess, the, the great crow goddess, uh, she's more associated with Samhain. And then Lu is more associated with Lunasa, Lu and his foster mother, Palcha. Um, so we don't celebrate the same deities. Every, we're polytheists. You know? so, so we have different deities that we honor at different times. True, true. Yeah, I totally get it. And as soon as you said that, I kind of went, duh. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that, that makes perfect sense. I guess I probably need another cup of coffee. <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, Druidism, um, you know, is, is, it, seems like, it seems to me, and again, you know, I, this is not something I studied much, uh, but Druidism seems like it's kind of an uh, enigmatic um, uh, tradition in a sense uh, because, I mean, do we have a lot of what the Druids uh, believed and did? I mean, was, was there much left behind? I, I mean, or is it mostly word of mouth? Or um, talk to me about that a little bit. Okay, well, there are a lot of, usually it's the English Druids who will say, oh, we don't know anything about Druids, so you can make up whatever you want. That's, that's, <laughs> there are people who will say that, but that is not the case if you dig into the, I mean, my, my group is Irish-oriented, and all the Druid groups that I've been involved in have been very Irish-oriented. It's just the way it is, but, um, there's so much literature out there. We have the Brehon Laws, which are the old tribal laws. Uh, we have the Bee Laws. We have the, the Farming Laws. We have um, the Medical Laws. I mean, we have all of that. And the Druids, of course, were the law keepers. So studying the Brehon Law uh, really gives you a window into what they thought, you know. Um, we have wisdom teachings. We have poetry um, we have sacred stories. Um, there's just a lot out there, but the thing is, it takes time. You have to, I mean, in my group, most people spend at least three years. Um, a lot of people spend five years just doing the basic reading. So uh, there's just a lot to it. And, um, you know, you also have to have some appreciation of archaeology and linguistics and just a little bit and you don't have to be an expert but but there's tons of information out there if you take the time to look um you know i've been at this for 30 years and i'm still studying okay so would you say i mean um 
would a, you know, a Druid's rituals, I mean, it sounded like most of the stuff you've talked about is what you would find in most pagan groups. Is there anything, though, about Druids that maybe stands out that's different and set apart from, you know, your typical pagan doing their Wheel of the Year thing? Yes, um, what we do looks very different, actually. We do not call the four directions, for example. We call the three worlds. Sometimes if we're in a big mixed crowd where there's a lot of witches or Wiccans hanging out, we will do the three worlds and the four directions just to keep everybody happy. But the way the Celts thought was the, the underworld of the she or the fairies or the ancestors, the middle world of the nature spirits, and then the sky world of the gods. So it's a vertical arrangement. We don't think so much in terms of four directions. If we think in terms of directions, we think in terms of five directions, because the most important direction is the center. So north, east, south, west, and center. Um, so that's one big difference. Um, we don't think of the goddess and the god. Uh, a lot of people will lump all the goddesses and they'll say all the goddesses are one goddess or all the gods are one god and it doesn't matter which god or goddess you worship because they're all the same you know um, that's not how we think at all um, we believe that there is a source with a capital S um, that from which it's a divine source from which the gods and goddesses emanate and that all the gods and goddesses are distinct so, for example, in my book, because I have a ritual to the Dagda, which is Celtic, and I have another ritual for Flora, who is Roman, I have cautions. I say, do not combine these two deities in a ritual, because that would be rude. You know, you don't put a, a Roman deity with a Celtic deity. That is not nice, you know. <laughs> and I, right. and I'm very clear about that, you know, but I but I go to Wiccan rituals where they'll call in Thor and Kuan Yin, you know, and Bridget and Yeah, you know, and it just to me it just I mean I just could never do that. That no druid would do that. So we we work within uh pantheons. We'll we're either working a, a an Irish ritual where we have Irish deities or we'll do a Welsh ritual with Welsh deities you know, we won't mix it up. We won't pull in an African deity, you know, just because we feel like it, you know. So that's another difference. Um, what else? Oh, we don't cast a circle. That's that's something else. When you cast a circle, I mean, I, I totally know, I mean, I understand why witches do it because they're trying to create a contained cone of power so they can raise power, right? But that's that's not the way we think of it at all. We do not cast a circle. We deliberately leave everything open. People are free to walk in and out. Animals, dogs, cats, anybody can walk in and out at will. We don't have to cut gates and, you know, have a guardian and all that stuff. Um, and the idea is that we want the nature spirits to work with us. We want the fairies to work with us, the ones that like us. Um, and we want the deities that, that want to come uh, to work with us, and we want the ancestors to work with us. So we, we, it's a completely open ritual so all the spirits can come through and work with us. That's how we think of it. So if we have really big, if we want to raise really big energy, we're going to make offerings uh, and 
praise, praise poetry, praise song, praise music, put things in the fire, um, you know, for a particular deity, and then they will help us. And so we are aligning ourselves with their strength, their power, their energy, because our assumption is that they um, are more powerful than we are, so we're not going to just try to raise human energy. We're going to actually work with the gods. I mean, that's how we think of it. Yeah. And so it is a bit different. Yeah. I mean, I know when we used to do uh, Isis-oriented rituals, I always felt odd uh, calling in the corners uh, because that just didn't feel uh, appropriate to me for uh, Isis-oriented rituals. Um, and anyway, you know, eventually I got away from it. But uh um, well, we only have about 10 minutes left, um, Ellen, so um, I wanted to talk a little bit about May Day being a time for romance and maybe herbs of love and protection. Okay, well, I have a whole chapter in the book um, <clears throat> on that, and I, I just I have made a few notes here, what things I'm covering, apples, for example, um, the apple oil uh, is used on wands and candles, um, clover, you can carry clover to attract a new lover. Um, clover likes to grow in, in clumps, you know, it likes to be with other clovers. <laughs> um, lemon balm, which is very calming as a tea, is also very attractive to find a lover. Uh, roses, of course, are sacred uh, to Mary and to Aphrodite. And very, you know, as an herb, they're very protective of the heart, so they're very heart-oriented, and they bring love and devotion. One of the things, I mean, I, I, I talk about kitchen witchery a lot in the book. When you learn the magical properties of a plant, you can then sneak it into dinner um, or drinks, you know. And, um, for example, with an apple, you could make apple dishes for somebody or... Um, Strawberries are, are sacred to Aphrodite, and they, in, in Native American traditions, they represent the heart of the earth, the love of the earth mother. Um, they, the elves love strawberries, so if you want to make the earth spirits, the land spirits happy where you are, you give them strawberry offerings. Um, violets are very good for attracting new love, so you can wear them. Uh, put them in a tea or um, make uh, make a milk or a face wash with violets. Um, but one caution about violets, if you, if you gather violets in a wild place and then bring them into the house, the fairies will follow you in. So that's a caution. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, be careful. Okay. But that's just some of the um, things. I mean, I talk about how to make a, a love candle. Um for example, if you had rose petals, uh, you could take, it depends what kind of love you're after. If you're looking for a nice, calm, nurturing, sweet love, you would have pink candles. If you're looking for passion, uh, you would have red, you know, deep red candles. And um, same thing with the roses. If you had your nice little pink rose petals, that would be uh, an innocent, sweet love. If you had bright red rose petals, that would be more passion. So you take your um, candle, you could uh, anoint it with um, apple blossom oil uh, and then honey, and then roll the candle in the rose petals and have two candles side by side and burn them together 
Um, never think of a specific person, though. That's very bad karma. Uh, you should never try to manipulate somebody. But, it, but you know, if you want to call in a lover, you could do that. Or you could bathe in the rose petals, you know. I, I have a whole chapter on that. Sounds like fun. Well, and and you're reminding me of a story a friend of mine told once. Uh, he did a ritual for uh, for a new partner, and um, when he did the ritual, uh, he forgot to mention. Uh, he wanted the partner, you know, them them to have a good sex life. And so after he did the ritual, he realized he was getting all of these new platonic uh, women friends. And it occurred to him, oops, you know, I forgot to uh, put, uh, you know, in in the mix of the of the spell, the ritual, that uh, well, he wanted some passion too. <laughs> so he had to yep. go back and do it again. <laughs> well, if you if you really um, want to spice it up, then you would add things like ginger, cinnamon, clove. <laughs> that would make it really spicy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, Ellen, uh, we're about out of time here. I want to give you the last word. Uh, is there anything um, you wanted to say about your book or the topic that maybe I didn't think to ask you? Well, I just want to say um, people are free to write to me if they have questions, com. That's E-L-L-E-N-E-V, as in Victor, E-R-T, H-O-P, as in Paul, M-A-N, Um, I do have a guest book there. You can send me messages. And then if you're interested in learning more about Druidism, um, we have a group. It's called Tribe of the Oak, and we're at tribeoftheoak.com. We have a a Facebook group, a public group, and a private group. Um, We have a website. We have a fire temple, as I mentioned, where we um, light candles for Bridget. Um, We do ceremonies online because we have members all over the world. So we do have a public ritual site um, where people can sign up. And uh, we're going to be doing one for um, summer solstice on the 21st, for example. Usually we have a more elaborate ritual, but our our chief bard um, is going in for surgery, so it's going to be a little simple ritual this time. But uh, normally we have really elaborate rituals online. Um, and everybody's welcome to contact us. Okay. And, uh, I mean, how are you, um, you know, with the pandemic, um, how are you guys dealing with, um, you know, social distancing or, or whatever? You know, I mean, Zoom kind of leaves a lot to be desired uh, when you're doing a ritual, I, I guess, huh? Well, we're doing rituals online, as I mentioned. Um, we're not using Zoom. We're using Facebook, uh, but but for us it's it's the best thing because we have people in Ireland and um, all across the U.S. You know, from New England to California, we have people in Mexico, um, we have people in South Africa, and the only way that we can get together, we try to do it as a group. Uh, the only way we can do it is online. So thank goodness we have that. I mean, it's a it's really been a wonderful thing. But uh, if people study with us, they, you do after you do the basic reading, which is a lot of reading, uh, then we have one-on-one fostership, uh, which is mentorship, and that goes on for a while, and then you become an initiate. But again, we have people all over the world, so people anywhere can, can work with us. 
Okay. Well, so were you doing this Facebook ritual thing before the pandemic, or did that start after? No, we started it uh, about two years ago, and then we suddenly realized when the pandemic hit, we just felt so lucky. We felt really blessed because we were used to doing it, you know, and then we decided before it was just private between ourselves, but when the pandemic hit, we decided as a service to the community that we would open it up. So we have a Facebook page called Public Rights Tribe of the Oak um, that people can sign up uh, for the rituals, um, and we offer it to the public as a service. So um, just one question about that, because I haven't actually seen, uh, I mean, I've done, you know, uh, FaceTime with folks, but I've never actually participated in a ritual using Facebook. Uh, Is it a thing where people just sort of watch the ritual being enacted, or is it participatory in the sense that, uh, you know, some of the people watching in other places also participate? Well, we always have a section where uh, people can put petitions for healing. Um, Normally the ritual is led by druids, but again, because our chief bard uh, is going in for surgery, uh, we've changed the format for the summer solstice, and we're we're inviting everybody to contribute. So um, hopefully they will be thoughtful about what they contribute, but it's going to be an open uh, ritual this time, and people are just going to post what they want. Um, if they post anything that's not suitable, they will be booted out immediately and blocked. <laughs> so that's all I can okay. say. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, all right, then. So listen, uh, one more time. Why don't you go ahead and uh, give the name of your book and uh, your website? All right, so you can find all my books at ellenevertthopman.com. The book is called The Sacred Herbs of Spring, Magical Healing and Edible Plants to Celebrate Beltane. But I have a whole bunch of other books there. If, um, and if you go to ellenevertthopman.com slash shop slash, that will take you directly to the books. But otherwise, you can just go to my website. I have a blog. Um, there's tons of information on the site. So. Okay. Well, Ellen, thank you. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed talking to you. It's it's really been fun, and uh, you've opened my eyes and my mind about some things. Uh, So thank you for that. Okay. Well, I hope everybody listening stays safe, be well, stay calm, and uh, just spend some time in nature. Sounds like a good suggestion. Thank you, Ellen. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well, thank you guys uh, for tuning in today, guys and gals. Uh, just a reminder, uh, on June 7th, this coming Sunday, uh, Trista Hendren is going to be with me, and our topic is uh, Medusa, uh, From Monster to Divine Wisdom. Uh, then the following Friday, I believe, June 12th, uh, Luke Eastwood is with me, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, taking a Gnostic path. Uh, Then a little bit further into the month, uh, the 17th, uh, I have uh, Duane Keir with me. We're going to be talking about uh, recovering from the misogyny of Christian fundamentalism. And uh, on the 24th, um, Laura Cornell is with me. We're talking about moon salutations, uh, healing for women through yoga. 
so. Uh, those are some of the shows coming up. Uh, I hope uh, you will tune in and um, uh, tell your friends. And um, always remember, uh, what you nurture and uh, what you put energy into, well, that tends to thrive uh, and grow, and um, what you neglect, it withers. So uh, be very careful about where you're putting your energy. And uh, until uh, we meet again on uh, Sunday, uh, may Isis embrace you in her golden wings. Uh, Stay safe and um, uh, be good out there. And just remember, uh, November is coming. November is coming. Thank you and bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.